Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. During the Lenten season, and just as a reminder, Lent is the 40 days not including the Sundays between um, Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And during this time, we prepare for Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday, and then all the events of that last week of the life of Jesus. And we kind of orient our church calendar, our life, around the life of Jesus. And that's why we're wearing purple, because it's the, the Lenten season. Um, and Mike and I thought we'd do a series during Lent on, on how God um, handles and loves to cover and deal with our shame. I think a lot of us feel shame in different ways. And this Sunday, I'm doing kind of a double thing. I want to point you all to Nika's class on how to study the Bible. Um, and today, I'm dealing with being ashamed of the Bible. Being ashamed of certain parts of the Old Testament, like, ooh, that was weird. Being ashamed of things we don't understand. Being ashamed of our ancient family, and then, because they are our ancient family, and then how do we deal with our own family stuff? So we're going to talk about our ancient family, our present family, and um, how to read this book that's so beautiful and weird. And I'll give you a couple practical things. But more importantly, I want you to see how God desires to be your friend. And so, oh, we're doing announcements. Oh, holy cow. Okay, how to study your Bible. Yeah, we, that's, that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm pointing you to Nike's class. She did, um, she's gone two classes of that, and her third class is this week. By the way, Nike's is in Kansas City doing a youth conference and speaking at a, at a church there in Kansas City. Um, she'll be back tomorrow afternoon. All right. And also for CA, CA is Cocaine Anonymous, but what CA really is, it's, it's the 12 steps for any type of addiction. Alcohol, drug addiction, those kind of addictions. They meet Friday 7, at 7.30 p.m. at the Menonia Maya building and Sunday nights at 6.30 at the SGOC church office. If you have any questions, please contact Jim Epperson. And we're so grateful for the ministry of CA and the ministry of what Jim does at CA and also for, well, just the city of Dallas, Menonia Maya, and anybody um, who wants to get help from uh, the ravages of addiction. Also, our SJOC prayer group meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the library. Thank you for you that pray for us. You're welcome to join with them every Monday. The library is right behind us here. So please participate with them Sundays at 10 a.m. That's it. Okay, now, I don't have to give my preamble about this room. Okay, this is our ancient, our family's ancient past, no shame. And um, I'm going to preach from the book of Revelation. I've only done that one time in my, all my all 30 years. But it's a very weird and very practical section of Revelation chapter 5, and then a little bit of Psalm 68 and Ephesians 4, and you'll see why. Because Paul is dealing with um, David's psalm, and Paul is interpreting that psalm, and we need to learn how Paul interprets the Bible so we can interpret it the same way. All right, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Oh, before I read this, how many of you have actually tried to read the book of Revelation? Okay. And how was it? A little weird? Okay, it's weird. It's beautiful and weird. But it's called The Revealing. It's, here's a way to understand it. Um, believe it or not, the book of Revelation is actually seven different pictures of the same scene. And that scene is Jesus coming back to make all things new. Now, one picture will do it, show Jesus coming back. One picture will show Jesus purging stuff. Another picture will show uh, other folks. But it's, just, it's like a weird movie of seven pictures of Jesus coming back to make all things new. And so it's not really chronological, it's more like seven different little mini-movies, and it gets bigger and broader each time. Revelation chapter 5 is that story of, uh, 
of the Lamb opening the scrolls of history, of the end of time, okay? Of Jesus coming back to make all things new. All right, so Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. This is John the seer, John the apostle, as he is seeing a vision in this revealing. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, that's God, a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scrolls and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with a full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, Psalm 68, verses 17 to 21. This is King David writing this psalm. And when I read Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is going to interpret the psalm, but he does something very biblical, but we think it's a little bit different. This is David writing. Remember, David was a king. With mighty chariots, twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands, the Lord came from Sinai into the holy place. You ascended the high mount, leading captives in your train and receiving gifts from people, even from those who rebel against the Lord's God abiding there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs, belongs escape from death. But God will shatter the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of those who walk in their guilty ways. And now Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 13. This is from St. Paul in the New Testament. Paul's going to comment on the psalm. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it also mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all things in heaven, so that he might fill all things. He himself granted that some are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the intentions of all of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, our Lord God. Amen. Uh, Deb, there's a picture of that, that one uh, painting, and I want to put that up for everybody. Have you ever seen this picture before, everybody? This is by a Dutch painter, Jan van Eck. It was done in the 15th century. It's called The Adoration of the Lamb, and it's kind of a picture of Revelation chapter 5. So let me get, and this is actually, um, this is, it's kind of stylized so we can see a little bit better. But here's the lamb. All the, the, the elders and the people and the angels are worshiping. And the lamb, if you come close, the lamb is slaughtered, but the blood is going to the chalice. And his blood is a source of blessing and healing for the nations. And so this is kind of a picture of Revelation chapter 5. So the mighty king was, is now a lamb that was once slaughtered. And everybody's worshiping him. And so this is a little bit of a stylized version of Revelation um, chapter 5. I've got uh, four bookstores that are my favorite. I really like bookstores. My wife will tell you that. And um, one, is in, one is in Dallas. I love half-price books, The Mothership. I go there, I don't, I go there um, a, a lot. If I, I say I go to Sam's Club, I'm really going to half-price books. <laughs> I go to Sam's Club to get gas, and I go to half-price books. And I just walk around. It's, it's kind of my happy spot. And I just, I bet three-fourths of the time I don't buy anything. I just go there and walk around. And I look for theology books, and then I look for records, and then I go home. I love half-price book, books. I love a store in New York called the Strand Bookstore, which is this huge old bookstore in New York. There's a little tiny bookstore, believe it or not, in Martha, Texas, that is awesome. But my first favorite bookstore was Moe's. It's been there for 80 years. Moe's is in Berkeley, California, right on Telegraph, right next to the University of California. Because my wife and I used to live there. And something else. This is so nerdy. There are five seminaries outside, above University of California, Berkeley. Five seminaries. They're Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, and then I think a Disciples of Christ seminary. And all those seminarians, when they're done using their books, guess where they sell them? Moe's Bookstore. So their theology section is fantastic with very expensive books at super low prices. And I go to Moe's and I just go like this. Oh, honey, it's going to be a while. I got to look at all these, see what the best deal is. But I saw one book at Moe's I've never seen anywhere else. And it was not in the theology section. It was actually in the cartoon section. There was a book written by a guy named Robert Crumb. Anybody know that name? Robert Crumb. Oh, you know, okay, this is what Robert Crumb was a hippie cartoonist from San Francisco. Um, and he's famous for that one thing that lets keep on trucking. You ever seen the guy with the big thumb and the foot? That's Robert Crumb. Robert Crumb 
made an illustrated comic version of the entire book of Genesis. And it's not for kids. He took the text from the King James Bible, didn't stylize it, he just took the text from the King James and did the entire book of Genesis. And that comic book, the illustrated comic book, is that thick. I looked at it, I opened it, and went like, wow, well that's pretty, there's a lot of violence, a lot of naked people in this book. Wow! People think God's doing some weird things. Wow, people are doing weird things. What? What's going on here? And then you just read the text, it's just describing, and it's, it's just the actual words from the King James Bible. I've never seen that book in a Christian bookstore. I've never seen that book at a seminary. I've never seen that book at a synagogue. I've never seen that book at a Christian church. I've never seen that book in any other store except Moe's graphic comic books next to like Shazam and all that other stuff. But it did something to me. I thought, yep, that's our story. That's our book. And at times it's kind of weird because there were naked people in the Bible and there's people doing bad things and, and people are saying that God is doing things, some that are great, some that we look at and say, wow, that's kind of strange. And to have it illustrated, not just read, kind of confronts us with the fact that I don't know what to do with this sometimes. I don't know how to handle this. You ever feel that way? I mean, when... when when it was fashionable about 10 years ago with Sam Harris and um, Daniel Dennett and Richard Hawkins, when they would make fun of Jewish believers and Christian believers, they would, he would go to those parts and say, you think your God, is, your, your God is weird. Look at all these things. And a lot of us would go like, well, okay, well, I don't know what to do with it. Well, first of all, I want us to relax for a second. Has it ever occurred to Richard that Christians realize this and the Jews are like, wait a minute, there's naked people and violence in the Bible. No way, I didn't know that. That's the first time I heard that. So this is not a new issue. The second thing is, early on, the church taught us ways of reading the Bible and understanding the Bible that help us navigate these very, very challenging texts. But here's the, the difficulty with that. And forgive me for just getting a little bit with church history. There is something that's called the consensus tradition. This is a Christian term. The consensus tradition of how to interpret and understand the Bible. And they're called the four senses. Have you all ever heard of that before? I bet this is the first time for many of you. And the four senses are this. You have to look at the Bible... For what it says, that's the first thing. And the four senses are like four voices, like the Beatles, and they harmonize together. And you don't understand it until all four voices are together. The first voice is this. It's just actually the text itself. What does it say? And the second voice, which is very important, is that you don't read the Bible to Jesus, you read the Bible through Jesus. In other words, you read the written word, which came in time, through the eternal word who's timeless. So you don't just read the prophecies to Jesus, you read the Old Testament through Jesus. Because all things came into being through him. And you can't understand what it says or what it means unless Jesus is already there. And then there's also the application of what does this mean for the mission of the church? That's another sense. 
And the other application is, what does it mean to you as you follow Jesus? That's the fourth sense. Now, that was the tradition early on, started by the apostles, those four senses, carried on by a guy like this, Origen. And Origen, I'm showing you this book. This book was written, well, not this copy of it, because it wouldn't look like this. It was written in 180 AD. He, he wrote the first systematic theology, Origen did, of the theology of the Christian church. And guess what is the first part of the uh, chapter one? Guess what it is? On the interpretation and understanding of Scripture. But this is through the Roman Catholic and through the Orthodox tradition. And what happened in the 1500s is something that's very good, but also challenging. What happened in the 1500s is that we had what's called the Protestant Reformation. And the church, we, were, we, we protested against the abuses of the Catholic Church, which were correct. And as we pulled away from the, the Catholic Church to have a clearer picture of the gospel, that's a good thing. The bad thing is we lost the received tradition of how to understand the Bible. And we just simply had individuals thinking, picking it up and saying, oh, I guess this is how we understand it. And it's true to this day. Because in my seminary days, and seminary for you kids here, that's where you go to be trained to be a pastor, I was never taught a course on how to understand the Bible. There were, believe it or not, at one of the finest seminaries in the world. Most seminaries do not have a, a course on hermeneutics. Now, they might have a course on biblical history, on preaching, on the Old Testament, New Testament, biblical theology, but we should have lots of courses on how to read and understand the Bible. They're not there. You know why? Because we don't have a tradition. We just kind of, we have to fend off for ourselves. And when we fend off for ourselves, we kind of get ashamed of what's there because we don't know how to read it. Does that make sense? Well, what Origen did in this book, Origen said, and this is what he did in 180, he said, well, how can I help Christians understand what's in the book? And he said, I think one of the keys of understanding the book is Revelation 5. Now, I read you Revelation 5 this morning. Do you guys remember the story that John looked up to heaven and there was a scroll written on the front and on the inside of it, and it was all bound up? And that scroll is a picture in the book of Revelation of time. Time in the past, time present, time in the future. Who is worthy to unlock what's going to happen in time? And there was nobody in heaven and nobody on earth that can do it. And John cried like, is anyone in control over history? Does anyone have time in their hands? And then he looked and he found a lamb as though it had been slaughtered. And he went to the one sitting on the throne, which is the father, and the father handed the son this lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, a scroll. So scroll is not just the Bible. The scroll is what? All of history, which includes what? The Bible. Is anyone worthy to unlock this book? Is anyone worthy to be the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, is anyone worthy? And there was one. And he opened the scrolls. Does that make sense? And what's that a picture of? That when we, look, when we open these scrolls, we need to take Jesus with us and open the book through him. So I thought a way of looking at that. How does that, how does that happen? Well, imagine we had 
Robert Crumb's book of Genesis. A copy right here. And it was illustrated. How we, when we look at those things, like how do we make sense of this? Do you all remember tracing paper when you were kids? Okay, kids, you know what tracing paper is? It's paper that's kind of white or gray, but if you lay it down over a picture, you can kind of see the picture underneath it, and then you trace on top of it. I think what Origen is saying is that the way we read the Bible is that Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection is like on the tracing paper already. And before we open up the Bible, we've got to put that tracing paper over those pages. And before we say what it means, you've got to see Jesus in there too. And you've got to let the event that happened then talk to Jesus, who's the Lord of time. And you don't understand it until those things are in communication with one another. Because even though Genesis is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God is present there, these are people's experience with God. And you know what? Jesus is God. So we take God with us when we read the Old Testament. We take God with us when we read the New Testament. Does that make sense? So you say, well, what do you mean take him with you? You don't understand the meaning of that story unless Jesus is in dialogue with it. He has to be in conversation with it. And then when Jesus is in conversation with it, you have the meaning. Now, you think, well, that sounds very inventive, Mark, creative. It's not at all. I didn't create this. Actually, this is the way the writers of the New Testament read the Old Testament. So what Origen also did, and I was not taught in seminary, I wish I was, but I never had a class on how did Matthew read the Old Testament? How did Mark read the Old Testament? How did Luke read the Old Testament? How did John read the Old Testament? How did St. Paul read the Old Testament? Origen, he does all that. He says, well, let's, let's interpret the Old Testament the way Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do, and let's not be creative, let's be faithful followers of them. That's a good idea, right? And so... What I'm going to show you in this next the side-by-side, I want you all to see how Paul reads Psalm 68. Now, what you're going to see here is that there's a variance in what Paul does. Psalm 68 is, remember, this is David as a king, and he's giving a picture. Now, remember, King David is also kind of a violent guy, right? He liked war and that kind of stuff. And he knew, the Holy Spirit was telling him, one day a king is going to come after him, whose throne is never going to cease. And that king, of course, is Jesus. And as David's writing this song, and the music, kind of like what Kelsey did for us this morning, he's writing this song and says, the king's going to come, and he's going to do what we do, and when kings, you you boys will love this stuff, when kings go into a city and conquer it, guess what kings do? They take everybody in that city, and they conquer them, and they make them captive. You know what captive means? You belong to me. And now that you belong to me and I own you as your king, you guys have to pay me taxes. You owe me now. So I captured you and now I, the king, receive all your taxes and vegetables and occasionally a pizza or whatever it is. But I, I'm the king. I get all this stuff. So this is what David says. With mighty chariots, twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands, the Lord came from Sinai into the holy place. You, the Lord, you ascended the high mount, leading captive in your train. It's a picture of a conquering king. And receiving gifts from people, even from those who rebel against the Lord, abiding there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. So in this case, the king goes up, he gets captives, 
and he makes them pay him. Now, as Paul is reflecting upon this psalm and reading it with the overlay of Jesus, I want you to see what the apostle does. It's beautiful, and it's instructive for us. Paul does this, but each of us, now he's talking about the gifts that God gives his people, but each of us, that's Christian, was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, quote, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he, what's that word there? He gave. What what does David say? He led captivity captive, and he did what? Receive. It's exactly the opposite. Do you all see that? And so sometimes, I've I've heard New Testament theologians say, wow, Paul did this, but we should never do this. What? Uh, Hello, this is Holy Scripture. Maybe Holy Scripture is telling us how to read Holy Scripture. So what what is Paul doing? David didn't know what Jesus was going to look like. Who does? Paul. And when Jesus ascended on high, how did Jesus ascend when he went up? Did he go up and say, I'm going to take the city? He went up like this. And instead of killing his enemies, he actually died for them. And when he rose again as a victor, instead of receiving gifts from us, he gave gifts. And what are the gifts? Pastors, teachers, Christians, bakers, engineers, you! Ta-da, you're his gifts. And he gave gifts out. Because David didn't know the whole story. And Paul felt very free to say, oh, David, David, that's a beautiful song, but I'm going to help you with this. Because I know the one that you're pointing to. And this is actually what he did. And so he's teaching us. It's kind of like, you guys remember, um, you know, Family Feud? Okay, David is doing that. Like, okay, David, Family Feud, when God comes again, God's going to lead captive, lead captive, and he's going to do what? Uh, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna crush their skulls. Okay, good try. Good try, David. Uh, because that's what you do. Um, Paul. Paul, like, good try, David. You got most of it. He's going to go on high, but David, he's going to die for us. And he's going to give gifts to people. Ding, 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 ding. That's the right answer. But David, just, but that's still God's word. It's still God's word. And you think, well, how can that be? This is how this can be. David's a difficult man, isn't he? Are you difficult? I'm difficult. David was a friend of God. David was entrusted by God to write the Psalms. God doesn't give up on people, even difficult people. Like David, who was a murderer, and this guy who was a murderer. He doesn't give up on people. He just doesn't give up on them. He's their friend. He's not ashamed of them. Paul's not ashamed of what David said. David's not ashamed of how Paul interpreted him. But somehow, we are. And I'm saying, no more shame. This is the way that we understand the Bible. You don't understand it until you overlay every verse of the Bible with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You've got to put that transparency on top. That's what Matthew does. 
That's what Mark does. That's what Luke does. Now what we do is we read the Old Testament and we read it to Jesus. But we don't read it through Jesus. See what the Apostle Paul's doing? Is he reading it to Jesus? Oh no. He's reading it through Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And it's there. And they're not ashamed. And this was the tradition that the church had for 1,500 years. But now, because it was Catholic or because it was Orthodox, we've lost it. This is a good tradition. And here's why I love this. I look at all the stories in the Old Testament, and I'm thinking, Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a horrible husband. I mean, if I did to my wife what Abraham did to his wife, I don't want that recorded in the Bible. What did he do, by the way? Oh, well, God chose him to be, start with him and to have a family that was going to be blessed by God, and that family, Israel, is going to bless the world, and they did. They gave us Jesus, and they gave us us. But Abraham, he went to this, this wealthy guy's house, and his wife was very pretty, and he went to his wife and said, oh, act like you're my sister because I think he wants to date you. So go on a date with him. Go on a date with a married... Yeah, do it, do it, go, go, go. Because I'm afraid he's going to kill me. Go on a date. It's okay. I'm God's kid. Like, what? That's horrible. That's horrible. It's a horrible thing he did. But why is it in the Bible? Because God doesn't give up on difficult people. He doesn't give up on them. He's not ashamed of them. And all of Abraham's foibles are there. And David's a friend of God. Well, David, he's a violent man. He did things far worse than Abraham. Moses was a murderer. He had killed a guy. Violent guy. He's a friend of God. And what does Jesus do in John chapter 15? Right after he tells everybody, his friends, after he tells the apostles, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die for you. And he says, I'm your friend. What the Bible teaches me is this, which is so beautiful. And this is why it's the Holy Scripture. God comes closer and closer to us, and we say, Silly things, we do bad things, and God never gives up on us. He actually condescends to call us friends. And I need to remind you of something that you may not have heard. Um, C.S. Lewis, in, in one of his books, I think The Discarded Image, he said, Americans have taken the word condescend, which is a beautiful word, and they've cheapened it. And this is what he means. The word condescend, the word con means with. Descend means to go down. What does condescend mean? It doesn't mean like, oh, don't be condescending to me. We use it like it's a negative thing. The Lord God, the Father God, through His Son Jesus, actually goes down to be with us. With David's, and Paul's, and Mark's, and Brooks, and Lisa's, and everybody. And says, you are my friend. And I am not ashamed of you. I am with you. Paul says he ascended on high the cross and he gave gifts to men. To Peter who denied him. He gave gifts to Peter. Peter, I'm going to start the church with you. You're, you're still, I'm not taking another lineup. You're still batting third. Go get him, Peter. You're right in there. He doesn't give up on people. That's the beautiful thing about Scripture. He doesn't give up on families. I'm not ashamed of this family. I'm not ashamed of how Paul looked at this. Paul is saying, David is like me. But David, I saw more things than you did. So as I understand you, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit in you, and I'm going to help you. Because this king doesn't crash heads. 
this king dies for his enemies. And I'm sure David went, oh, okay, that's good. That's a, I'm glad you did that for me. I didn't know that. Now, what the early church did, they said, this is the right way to read the Scripture. But here's the challenge that we have. We have the gift of reading the Bible, but we don't have a received tradition of how to understand it. And what I want to help you all do today is always have two things when you're there. The actual story and the transparency of Jesus over the story. And let those two things converse. And you won't be ashamed of the text. St. Augustine said, if you read any part of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Job, 2 Kings, uh, anything, Hosea, Zechariah, if you read any book of the Bible, and if you come to a conclusion where you don't love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, you've come to the wrong conclusion. Isn't that good? So what's he mean by that? You've got to read it through Jesus. And here's where it comes to our families. The reason I like, when I looked at that book, that book by Genesis, by Robert Crumb, back, you know, this is like 1998 when I saw it. At first it was kind of, it was, it was way over the top, but I realized, oh, that's my family. Abraham, that's my family. I'm not ashamed of them. God loves them. They're my family. Jesus was born for them. I love the fact that God has said, listen, I understand that you guys are not perfect, but I'm going to work with you and give you my spirit, and I'm going to save you and forgive you. And then I thought about my own family. I thought, well, if God's not a... God is saying, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of my family. I'm not ashamed of them at all. He's not ashamed of your family. He's their friend. God condescends to be your friend. Um... This last week, um, I, I was in Florida. My brother's wife has a family member who helped develop this golf center called Lake Nona, which is outside of Orlando. And so we had this free house with a pool and um, golf carts, but we didn't play golf. We took the pools to, uh, yeah, the pickleball courts every day. And then I taught my, my brother and sister to walk backwards. And then we barbecued. We did that for five days. And then one night, we went out to a restaurant owned by the same company that has the house. And Charlie, who is my sister-in-law's relative, who developed this area, developed this whole thing. And he, I've known Charlie for 20 years. And he is over the top. You know, he, oh, behave. He's from England. He talks that way. Oh, kick him out. He's very colorful that way. You say something funny, you'll say, throw him out. That's hilarious. And so, so, Charlie came to the restaurant. We didn't know he was coming. And when all the employees saw him, they're like, uh, Charlie, you look busy. Because the big boss is here. And he came to our table. And he says, hello, friends. And we said, hello, Charlie. And I was watching the wait staff like, oh. He has friends. He has friends. The high, mighty one has friends that are common people and wear shorts into his restaurant. Oh, wow, he's just a regular guy. And I don't know Charlie as, I just know Charlie as my friend. He ascended on high and he gave gifts to you all, himself. And in this book, if we overlay Jesus, you know what you're going to feel over and over again? He is my friend. 
He's your friend. Don't be ashamed of this book. Don't be ashamed of this family. Don't be ashamed of your family. Do you know every human being is handmade, or if I can make it a 2023, he's, they're hand-curated by Jesus? Not just by God generically, and Jesus desires to be their friend. When you look at someone, do you ever see to them like, they're Jesus-made and he wants to be their friend? Or do you say they're a problem? Every family member of yours, even the most difficult, hand-curated by Jesus, and Jesus wants to be their friend, to condescend, not because he has to, because it makes him happy. Charlie is not our friend because we're useful to him. He's our friend because, well, he's family to us. We took Charlie in when he was at his lowest, and we loved him, and he loved us back. And we just know him as Charlie. Oh, kick him out. Wonderful, fun, Charlie, and I want to talk like that the rest of my life. That was fantastic. In fact, he actually did say that. My brother-in-law said something funny. And, he, and one of the wait staff came by, and he goes, Cheryl, kick him out. He's so funny. And I thought, oh, that is, oh, wow, I wish I could do that in public. It was fantastic. But we just know him as Charlie. And it just occurred to me, like, oh, but he's our friend. All right, what's the point of all this? When you overlay Jesus in every part of the Bible, remember, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's your friend. And take him with you. Lord, how do I understand this? This is a hard text. Here's what we can't do. We can't just kick it out like Marcion did, like, oh, let's take all the old stuff. No, no. Lord, take my hand. Lord Jesus, take me, and I, I need to understand this. But just overlay it with Jesus. Overlay this ancient family with Jesus, because they're made by him. And also, don't come to a conclusion until you do that. But also, overlay your family and your past and your present. And anyone you meet, please treat them the, what they really actually are. They're hand-curated by Jesus. You've got to be careful about making fun of people. They're hand-curated by Jesus, and he, he has a lot of friends. You know how I know that? This guy that wrote this was on a crusade, what he thought was by God, and he thought he had God's blessing to kill people. And then one day he was on a horse trying to get a law so he can kill any Christian he wanted to until he was arrested in disguise by Jesus himself in Acts chapter 8. And Jesus said to him, Saul, uh, why are you killing my friends? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul goes, oh, I've been reading this whole thing wrong. I got all this wrong. He goes, yeah, you got that wrong. That's right, you got it wrong. But I'm here, and you're my friend. Don't do that. I don't do that. And you're God, and I'm God. Yeah. And I'm your friend. Stop it. Okay, I'll stop it. How did he learn? He's the friend of Jesus. And he began reading everything in the Bible instead of through his own rebellious ways of wanting God to be conformed to his own hatred and violence. He began to read everything through the lens of what? Through the lens of Jesus. So, that's an old tradition that we need to revive. Don't be ashamed of this book. Don't be ashamed of your families. Created by Jesus. Loved by Jesus. Jesus is your friend. Let's have soft eyes to these hard stories. Let's have soft eyes to people that are difficult. This book is hand-curated by Jesus. And the people in this book and you are hand-curated too. Let's have soft eyes to both.
And I'm so proud to have you as my friends. And I'm so grateful that all of us are friends of Jesus, who's not ashamed of us. Let's pray. Father, as we read these books, um, help us not be ashamed of the stories of the Scripture. And help us read the text for what it says. And also, Lord, help us read the text through Jesus, not just to Jesus. Teach us to follow and to interpret and understand the Old Testament the way the writers of the New Testament have. And Lord, help us not call that novel or creative. It is faithful. And teach us to be faithful in the very same way. And Lord, thanks for being our friend and condescending to do so. And doing it not because you have to, but because it makes you so happy. We're amazed by that, that you delight to call us your friends. And you're our friend too. We pray in your good name. Amen. God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, Please be seated, everybody. We're going to celebrate the Eucharist together, which we do every Sunday. And also, um, we're going to celebrate a time of prayer. We'll have uh, brothers and sisters that will be stationed in the back. And if you have a prayer request or something that you want to celebrate or something you're not even sure for, but you want someone to pray with you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they'll be available for you. So as we begin the Eucharist this morning, um, if you'll let them come first. And then they'll be in the back all the way through uh, the Lord's Supper and then our closing song. Um, but we're grateful for the ministry of prayer. And, um, and just a reminder too, when they pray with you, um, they're going to keep those prayers right there. If you want to follow up with them, you can. Um, but they're, they're, they're not going to follow up with you necessarily. They want, you follow up with them. But this is a time just for them to pray with you and to love on you because they're your friends. And through the grace of the Holy Spirit, they're going to pray these things up together with the Lord. This is a table for the friends of God. You're all friends of God. And all of us have some areas of our life that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of, but uh, God is not ashamed. You know, when Peter wrote his last letter, I thought about the Lord's Supper. When Peter wrote his last letter, first, well, actually in 1 Peter chapter 5, he actually says, um, hey, pastors, um, be gentle among your flock, love them well. And then he says, and be, be humble and, and be patient with them. Because I, I was a witness of, the crucified Christ. And Peter actually says that. And my 14-year-old boy came out like, you were a witness? You were the coward. Witness? <laughs> witness? Woo. Wow, really? Witness? You blew it, buddy. Don't say you made a three-pointer. You were horrible during that time. And that's exactly Peter's point. I was horrible. 
and I'm still his friend. He restored me. I was humbled by that. I'm not ashamed. Am I glad what I did? No. I hate what I did. I was a coward. But it's recorded for all to see that God is a friend to people that do really bad things. And I'm number one. So you love people well. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful what he does? Oh, so I'm saying the same thing to you this morning. You do bad stuff. I do bad stuff. We repent. God forgives us. He's still your friend. Trust him. He's still your friend. Hear the words of the the Lord's Supper given to us in one place by St. Paul. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, For I delivered unto you what I first received, that our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the the bread, excuse me, took the bread and said, "This um, uh, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembering me. As often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have pieces here of of gluten-free wafers and grape juice for those that want to dip and and tink. We also have sealed for those who want to take the sealed elements as well. So, um, Mark, would you come up and and join me this morning as we serve this? And then um, I'm going to pray over the meal and then beginning with the prayer team first. And then the back rows, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've given us in this meal. Thank you for giving us Jesus as our friend. And through him, we can understand this meal and understand and converse about everything in the Bible. Teach us, Lord, um, to do everything uh, through the soft eyes of Jesus. And for those who are coming this morning that need encouragement, nourish them. And for those who need prayers, Answer their prayers according to your holy will. We thank you for this meal. Join us, Lord, we pray in your name.